Well, good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, whether it's your phone or like a, a Bible Bible, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 4 today, so you could open there. Uh, as you're doing that, I have two, two kind of over-explaining things that I should just mention. Uh, first, my name's Tyler. Uh, I, am the, I have a new title. I'm the associate pastor of youth and small groups here at Prairie Hill. Fancy word for I work with the youth group and I work with the small groups, community groups. Uh, secondly, if you've heard me speak before, I talk really, really fast. Um, I have been practicing. I've practiced this message a lot, and I've practiced talking really, really slow. Um, but I will warn you that when I get nervous or excited, I speed up. So I will do all that I can, but there are no guarantees. <laughs> uh, anyways. I'm very excited to be here. I'm also equal parts terrified to be preaching for you guys today. Um, I mean, it's the word of God, like it's a big deal. So I'm, I'm really excited, also very nervous. Um, but I figured, since it's Labor Day, what, what should I teach about? Um, and I thought that because it's Labor Day weekend, a good topic would be rest. So I started studying rest. And... As I was studying rest, I found Hebrews 4, which again, that's where we're going to be. Open your Bibles there. Um, We'll read it in a second, but as I was studying it, as I was reading it, I noticed, and by noticed I mean I was really confused by this term that's used a bunch in Hebrews 4. Um, It's God's rest. Um, I didn't really know what that was. I was kind of confused by it. So... Today, my, my hope is that I can explain what God's rest is not, and then also what God's rest is, and then also why it matters. So to do that, we're going to be in Hebrews 4. Um, I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Um, as I do that, could you just stand out of respect for the word of God? Um, so I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, and then I'm going to pray. So this is Hebrews 4. Uh, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It's, it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set aside a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for the honor that you've given me to preach your word. Um, I pray that you will keep me reminded that I can't do it, um, that the only 
chance that I have to preach your word faithfully is by your own power, through your own spirit. Um, with your spirit, I pray that I will be able to preach your word faithfully. Um, that as I'm talking, it'll be your words. Um, and that if any of my own stuff creeps in, that that's not what they remember. Um, I love you, Lord. Thanks for this opportunity. Amen. You guys can sit down. So, did you notice the theme, God's rest? It's kind of all over. Like, God's rest, the rest of God, it, it's everywhere. Um, I think the first step in understanding what God's rest is, like what he's talking about, would be to get some context. Um, so you can turn a page back or scroll a, a, a chapter back to chapter 3. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews, just kind of as a whole, uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so I'll just say the writer of Hebrews. Um, really creative, I know. Um, the writer of Hebrews, his goal in writing is to show that Jesus is superior to anyone who came before. Um, because the writer was probably writing to a bunch of Jews um, that were following Jesus. And as Jews, they were huge fans of the Old Testament. Um, they were huge fans of Moses, David, uh, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, all those guys. Um, and they wanted to be like them. They wanted to emulate them. Um, and what the writer of Hebrews is telling them is, yeah, those guys were awesome, 100%. They did awesome things. But Jesus is way better. Like, it's not close. Jesus surpasses all of them. So we come to chapter 3, and that's, that's what the writer's writing about. Um, and the target is Moses. Um, maybe target's the wrong word, but the, the focus is on Moses. Um, the writer's showing, yeah, Moses was awesome. Moses did a lot of great stuff. Uh, but Jesus, far better, far superior. Um, so as the writer's writing about Moses, his brain immediately goes to, well, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt uh, into the wilderness to the promised land. Um, and then when he gets on that train, the train of the Israelites in the wilderness, he, he pretty quickly, pretty quickly translate, uh, transitions into how badly the Israelites screwed up in the wilderness. Um, if you don't know the story, it's, I mean, it's a big part of Exodus through Deuteronomy, like books two through five. Um, basically, as soon as Israel got out of Egypt, as soon as Moses led them out, they just they constantly rebelled. Um, they didn't trust God. They rebelled against Moses. They a lot of times talked about wanting to go back to Egypt, which was insane. Um, but for 40 years, they, they wandered around. Um, and the writer is writing about that at the end of chapter 3. He's, he's reflecting on it. So this is Hebrews three seventeen through 19. Um, this is God, how God felt towards the Israelites at this point. Hebrews three seventeen, And with whom was he, God? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they, the Israelites, were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So, you see that? God's rest. Hebrews 3.18. Um, and we learn something about God's rest through chapter 3 and through the story of Israel at the time of Moses. Uh, we learn that whatever God's rest is, Israel, the Israelites didn't experience it at the time of Moses. Like, whatever it is, it's not something that the Israelites attained to. I mean, it says they didn't enter because of their unbelief. Um, so there, we got something. We know, we know. Whatever it is, unbelief prevented Israel at the time of Moses from getting it. So now we're at chapter 4, back where we started. 
Um, and the writer, the writer's predicting what his readers are thinking. Um, because like I said, the readers, probably Israelites, probably know their Old Testament very well. Um, and they might be thinking, well, I get what you're saying. I get it. Israel really disobeyed. They, they screwed up for 40 years. Um, but the 40 years came to an end, right? And, and it's true. If you, if you go past Deuteronomy to the next book, Joshua, the Israelites wander around for 40 years. They disobey. They rebel. But after 40 years, Joshua leads them into the promised land. And they, they conquer and they battle. And they actually, when you read the story, it seems like they do get some rest. I mean, they don't totally finish the job. Like, there's pockets that they don't quite conquer. But under Joshua, Israel goes into the promised land and they have a time of rest. So that teaches us something else about rest, God's rest. It shows us that national peace, which for the most part they had under Joshua, Israel had. It shows that national peace and relaxation and inactivity is not equivalent to God's rest. And it would be easy for me at this point to just say that point and then move on, like rush, rush ahead. Um, but I don't want to do that because I think that's really important. Um, so, like, imagine, like, I, I think this matters for us. Like, imagine if today or tomorrow, like on Labor Day, imagine on Labor Day tomorrow, uh, the U.S. stopped having foreign conflicts. Like, we had national peace. Like, outside of our borders, there was peace. We weren't, we weren't involved with issues across the globe. Like, there, there weren't troubles with that. Imagine that. And then imagine even more than that, inside of our borders, the problems were getting solved. Like, the, our, our, yeah, our, our party systems were working perfectly. Our discussions and our Congress and everything was functioning exactly as it should. If we had that, if we had peace without and peace within, national peace, if we could just chill, like if we, even if we had that, according to this, we wouldn't necessarily have God's rest. Even if we had national peace without and national peace within, we would not necessarily be attaining to the rest of God, according to the writer. Um, and I think this is backed up, like in, in verse 3 and verse 7, um, the writer quotes David in the Psalms. Um, and David, just timeline stuff, I like, I like the timeline. Um, David's writing the Psalm like hundreds of years after Israel enters the promised land. But it's Psalm 95, and in, in verse 3 of Hebrews 4, he's, the writer's quoting that Psalm, and he says, this is David talking for God. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So when David, like, big deal, like King David, when he looks back at the Exodus and the people wandering for 40 years and entering the promised land, he says, yeah, no, they, they didn't attain to God's rest. They didn't experience true like, spiritual rest, the rest of God. So at this point, you may be wondering, why is Tyler just talking about what God's rest is not? What, what, what is God's rest? Um, because if it's not just national peace and not just being able to relax and not just inactivity, then what is it? Like, how does God rest? Um, and I think to get an idea of what God's rest is or to see how God rests, we kind of got to go back to the beginning. Um, and I don't mean Hebrews 1. I mean, like, the very beginning, like Genesis. Um, because we get a picture of God resting in Genesis, right? I mean, it's Genesis 2-2. 
by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So on the seventh day, God rested. Why? Um, did God rest on the seventh day because he was tired? Like, did, did, were the six days just really exhausting and he, like, needed a day, like, he needed a break, he needed a day to chill? I don't think so, right? Like, I, I, I don't think that's the God revealed to us in the Bible, right? I mean, the God revealed in the Bible is completely all-powerful, completely holy, able to do anything that is to be done. I don't think he was resting because he was tired. Um, but if it's not because he's tired, then, then why is he resting? Um, and I think the reason is not because of exhaustion. It's because of fulfillment and satisfaction. Um, and I want to be careful. Don't, don't hear me saying that God resting being about fulfillment. Like, like don't, don't hear me saying that God needed to create the universe to be fulfilled. Like, God is eternally complete in himself. Like, he doesn't need us to be fulfilled. But I think we can say pretty confidently he was satisfied, right? I mean, Genesis 1, he, he looks at the creation, he says, behold, this is very good. Um, so I think we can say with some, I think we can say that God's rest is not about exhaustion, but it's about fulfillment, completeness, satisfaction. Um, and I think that's important because if God resting is not about him being tired, it's actually about him being satisfied, then it doesn't depend on whether or not he's doing something. Does that make sense? Like, if, if God can rest by being fulfilled and satisfied and complete, then, then God doing stuff would not necessarily mean he now isn't resting. Like, for us, sometimes that's what it means. Like, we're, right? Like, we're exhausted, so we need to rest. We need to take a break. It, it doesn't seem like that's what God's rest is. Um, and this idea... Like, the concept of God's rest being about satisfaction, fulfillment, completeness, that was really helpful for me when I came back to Hebrews 4. Because the end of Hebrews 4.3, I've been in that verse a lot. I think it's very key. The end of Hebrews 4.3, it says, and yet his God's work, and yet God's work has been finished since the creation of the world. When I first read that, that was really confusing. Because, yes, I see Genesis 2, God rested on the seventh day. But... Between Genesis 2 and Hebrews 4, like, the Bible shows God doing a lot of stuff, right? Like, like Jesus comes between Genesis 2 and Hebrews 4. Like, the, the, God is intimately involved with the nation of Israel for, like, a thousand years between Genesis 2 and Hebrews 4. Like, God does a lot of stuff between Genesis 2 and Hebrews 4 that I would consider work. Like, I would consider him doing some works, like, doing stuff. But if we understand, like, if we get this concept that God's rest is not dependent on him doing stuff, then he can be resting as he's doing that stuff. Like, man, I'm overusing the term doing stuff, but that's okay. Um, if God's rest isn't about whether or not he's working on something or whether or not he's, he's, he's doing a thing, then from, the, from Genesis 2 to Hebrews 4, he can be resting the whole time because his rest is about fulfillment and satisfaction, not about if he's doing an action. So... I think, I've, I think I've belabored that point long enough. I think, I think we can take a stab at what God's rest is. Um, if I was going to say it in a sentence, um, I think I would define God's rest according to the Bible and specifically Hebrews 4. Um, God's rest is God's continued state 
of being fulfilled and complete, which he shows to us when he rests on day seven in Genesis. I'll say it again in case I said it too fast. Um, I don't know. I I don't trust my voice at this point, but um, I would define God's rest as his state of being fulfilled and complete, which he shows to us when he rests on day seven in Genesis. So there's a definition. Um, Now, cool, right? We got a definition. That's what God's rest is. Why does it matter? Why did I spend like 15 to 20 minutes defining what God's rest is? Um, I think it matters because according to Hebrews 4, like according to the passage we're in today, God's rest isn't limited to God. Like God's rest is not just a thing that God has, period. Actually, according to this passage, humans can experience God's rest too. Like we can experience that state of fulfillment, satisfaction, and completion that God showed to us on day seven. Um, and if you don't believe me, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. So this is important to understand because God's rest isn't just a God thing. It can be a thing for us too. Now, for me, my brain immediately goes to how. How, how can we experience God's rest? Because that sounds pretty sweet. The, the state of being fulfilled, complete, and satisfied, regardless of what we're doing, like that sounds pretty awesome. Um, but if you remember, he, the writer just got finished talking about how Israel didn't get that. Like Israel never got to experience God's rest. So if God's chosen people, Israel, that he was like intimately involved with for like a thousand years, if, if those people did not experience God's rest, how do we do it? Um, and again, I think, I think context is key. Um, I think it's important for us to know and remember why Israel didn't get, in, get to experience God's rest at the time of Moses. If you remember, it was Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Israel didn't experience God's rest because they didn't believe, they didn't trust him. So if that's why Israel didn't get in, get in is the wrong term. So if that's why Israel didn't experience God's rest because of unbelief, it would make sense that for us, belief might be important. If, if Israel didn't get it because of unbelief, us experiencing God's rest might have something to do with belief, right? Does that make sense? I think. But what are we supposed to believe in? Like, what, what, what's the thing or who's the thing that we believe in? And um, so you're all in church. I don't know how long any of you have been here. Some of you have probably been at church for 50 plus years or more. Some of you, this might be one of your first couple times. But uh, when you're in church and the person up front, whether it's like pastor, teacher, leader, whatever, when any of those people asks you a question about something good, the safest answer is always Jesus. Like just just throw out Jesus if, if you don't know. Um, I mean, don't, don't do that if they ask you like a negative question. Like if they say like, hey, who, who's the who's the source of all sin? Like, who's the don't answer Jesus to those kind of questions. But usually, Jesus is a pretty safe bet. Um, and in this case, there's the answer, Jesus. I mean, what what are we supposed to believe in to have a chance at God's rest? It's Jesus. Um, and if you think that's if you think that's an oversimplification or just or just Tyler 
knowing that Jesus is always the answer because he grew up going to a free church too, so he should just throw that out and say that it's rest and say that the answer to rest is Jesus. I, I think it's where the passage goes next. Um, because, again, if, you, if, if we remember what Hebrews is talking about, Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is superior to everyone in the Old Testament. And in chapter 3, the person being discussed was Moses. And in chapter 4, it's actually kind of shifted. Um, instead of explaining how Jesus is superior to Moses, it's now moved to Joshua. Um, because Joshua was the one in the book of Joshua who, after the 40 years in the wilderness, took Israel and led them into the promised land. He led them to national rest. Which I want to stress, national rest is a good thing. Like, if we get to a point of rest outside of our borders and rest within, like, that's awesome. That, that's great. Um, so the writer's not saying that Joshua leading them to national rest is bad. But what he is saying is that God's rest, that belief in Jesus can lead us to, he's saying that that's way better. Um, and again, if you, if you think I'm stretching it, I, I think it's where the passage goes next. I'm going to read Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. So it's right after what we just read. So it says, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 14, therefore, so in light of this, in light of this whole discussion about rest, about not getting in, getting in, how to experience it, in light of that, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Verse 16, this is crucial. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Could there be any greater sense of fulfillment or satisfaction possible? Any, any greater sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, or completeness? Could there be any more than being able to walk into the throne room of the all-powerful, most holy, high above creator of the universe? And not just to walk in there like rolling or like crawling or with all of our limbs out of joint like with Isaiah, not just to walk in like, like that, but to approach his throne with confidence. To, to be able to walk into the throne room of God and ask for help. Like, ask for mercy and ask for grace. Is there, I don't think there's any greater fulfillment or satisfaction or completeness than that. To be able to approach the one who made all of this and say, hey, can you help me? Can you, can you be merciful? I need some grace. Can you please help me out? Like, being able to walk into to his room and talk to him, I think that sense of fulfillment and completeness would kick national rest out the door. I, I don't think it's close. And that privilege, the, the ability to approach his throne with confidence, 
that's not some like future, like maybe goal. Like that's not like a, if I'm a good Christian until I'm 105 and yeah, I mess up sometimes, but I do my best. Like then when I, at the very end of my life, then I can approach God with confidence. Then I can receive mercy and grace. That's not, it's not how this is presenting it. Instead, it's saying that like, even me, like 23 year old Tyler, like preaching his first, like I can approach the throne of God and ask him for mercy and grace and help in my time of need. That's crazy. But, but again, it's not, it's not something we have to wait for. It's a privilege that we can have right now through being united with Christ. Um, and honestly, I think that, I, I think it's kind of what Jesus is going for sometimes when he talks. Like when I, when I mentioned that I was talking about rest, there might've been some of you who thought that I would maybe preach out of Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Um, I think it's probably the most famous rest verse in the Bible. It's, it's, says, it's Jesus talking. He says, come, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think, I think that that statement by Jesus fits in with this idea of rest in Hebrews 4, that even, even wearied and burdened and, and, and brought down and oppressed by sin, like even with all that, those things that would typically just disqualify us from, from the presence of God. Like sin can't be in the, like our, our sinfulness is not, it's not going to work if we go into the presence of God. But even when we're weary and burdened with Jesus, we can, we can still approach God's throne with confidence. So as you go, like as you go about Labor Day, I want to stress, enjoy resting from work. Like enjoy the day off tomorrow if you have it. Like, I, I don't want you to walk away thinking that I'm saying that, that resting, like, relaxation is a bad thing. Because it's not. I mean, it's a gift from God that we can, like, if you run for six days and take the seventh day off, like, that's not, that's not you being lazy. That's, that's good for your body to recover. Like, rest is a good thing. So, so enjoy the rest that we have this weekend. But don't idolize that rest. Like, don't, don't, don't look at relaxation as the end goal or, like, the ultimate, like, the ultimate purpose or goal of your life like enjoy the rest but remember that true rest that true rest of fulfillment and satisfaction that allows us to approach the creator of the universe with confidence remember that that rest is found only through christ look to him to experience god's rest and do it now and also do it as we look ahead right because unless jesus comes back in the next 80 years, 100 years, whatever. We're all going to die. Like, I'm going to die someday. And to be honest with you, passages like this kind of make me look forward to it because I am so excited to be able to approach God and continue to approach God with confidence but without these worry burdens that I have right now. So that's what I have for you. Um, I do have one more thing. It's kind of small. Well, it's not small to me, but it's not going to take super long. Um... So if you guys know my wife, her name's Emily. She doesn't know I'm doing this. Um, so she's, she's a singer. Like, she released an album. And one of her Emily J music, check it out. Um, sorry, shameless. Actually, not sorry, shameless plug. Um, and on her album, one of her songs is called Rest. Uh, and it's based off of Matthew eleven twenty eight that I just mentioned a little bit ago. So to close out this message, um, I asked John if we could play rest. It's like, it's literally like a two minute song. It's not going to take that long. 
Um, but as it's playing, I would love it if you guys could just sit back and reflect. Um, reflect on how you understand rest. Reflect on God's rest. Reflect on if you feel like you've been experiencing the contentment and satisfaction that, you, that we can have when we're united with Christ. And talk to God about it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do Emily's song, and then I don't know what's happening next, probably another song. I, I was focused on this part of it. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll go on to the next thing. Um, dear Jesus, thanks that you got me through it. Um, thank you for letting me approach your throne room with confidence as I prepped for this sermon. Um, and thank you that your spirit works. Um, I pray that we will experience true rest. Uh, I pray that we'll know that you're the only source of rest, true rest. Um, And I pray that as we look ahead, that we will be excited to rest in you in eternity. I pray that you'll bless the, uh, the, the time of peace and relaxation that we hopefully get to have tomorrow. I pray that that's awesome for all of us. Um, I pray that we'll look to you. I love you, Lord. Amen.